Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, do you ever dream about politicians, like not politicians that you directly worked for, just politicians who are in the news? Um, Not too much. It's why I I use the call map before I go to sleep. (laughs) Oh, that's probably wise. The shipping forecast is clutch. But I did have a dream the other night that I wanted to share because it was like, I woke up and I was like, that was really funny. I had a dream that AOC was having mm-hmm. a press conference to defend the character of Miranda Hobbs from That's... Republican besmirching. <laughs> Wait a minute, she... but Aaron, Aaron, did you see the Cynthia Nixon Instagram story of Miranda's winter wardrobe through the years? No, but I have to check it out. I, I don't know. I feel like it would have prompted the dream. Maybe. this th- We needed a Cynthia Nixon AOC collab, though, in, in one way or another. Because I, I agree. it was so funny in the dream. She was so serious. She was like, I will not stand the slander of Miranda Hobbs. I will not stand by in her like <laughs> AOC way. And she was so animated. And I, I woke up and I was like, that's awesome. I wish politics were like this all the time. <laughs> This week, we're joined by Camille Friend, Dana Schwartz, and Jaleesa Arce to take on the following questions. What happens when your fancy laundry detergent gets infested with harmful bacteria? Who does the hair and makeup of the Oscar nominees for best hair and makeup? Young men are doing poorly in school and in life. Is female excellence to blame? And which celebrity has the fanciest house that Architectural Digest has ever toured? All this and more right now. All right, Alyssa, I've had a morning. This isn't the... You you have. I mean, my A1 above the fold headline is I went out of the house to get coffee. I had like it regimented for like exactly how much time I needed to do everything I needed to do. Right. Got a huge coffee, came back, spilled the whole fucking thing. The whole thing. And so the the other stuff I was going to do, I didn't get to do because I was like, 
scrubbing coffee because you don't want your walls like to have coffee in the drywall. Oh, God. Did you just toss the coffee? It was like a it was a crime scene of coffee spilling. (gasps) Oh, a coffee crime scene is the worst. It was like a slapstick. It was a slapstick coffee spill. Was there milk in the coffee? Coconut milk. Just a splash. Still, ca- still catastrophic. Yeah, still catastrophic. at least it wasn't like a latte. But anyway, that's that's the the biggest story in the world right now. We have a really exciting, fun interview coming up today. Yes, and pol- political news right now is sort of a Do- it, please. It's a it's a fast forward, as my mother would say. It's a slap fight between <laughs> the most tedious people in America, and I just want it to be over. So we're going to go through some headlines of stories that might be running a little bit under the radar, but that kind of stuck yeah. out to us. Um, first, let's start in South Korea. Um, I am not sure if we have any listeners in South Korea. We might have some listeners in South Korea. But uh, basically, young Koreans have a, a lot of reasons not to have kids. Um, it's yeah. really expensive like it is in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. the staggering costs of raising children, um, can't buy a house, hard to get a good job. Uh, and when you do get a job, you're working constantly. And then within contemporary South Korea, the pressures put on women are immense, immense. Yeah. They're expected to take care of, of everybody in the family in addition to the child, their husband, their husband's family, their own family. It is It is too much. And so young women in South Korea are just on a strike Against being, and this is from a uh, New York Times headline, uh, baby-making machines. So um, the South Korean government has been trying to persuade more South Korean women to have babies. Turns out being like, come on, guys. Not a good, not a good tactic. Not a good thing, especially when the women are so organized that they actually have abortion now in South Korea mm-hmm. and they have mobilized a um a slogan which I was like you know what they're they're better organized than we are yeah the four B which translates to the four no's no dating no sex no marriage and no child rearing oh man and you know this I found this really interesting in the article which we'll link in show notes but a 2022 survey found that 65 percent of women in South Korea do not want children. Mm-hmm. 48% of men don't, but 65% of women in, in South Korea don't want children. Um, and so it, here's the thing, you know, what would convince people to have more children would be to remove the barriers between, you know, the things that make it suck. Make it suck less, right? right? Make it um, suck less. Like, don't pressure women into quitting when they get pregnant, which was a big problem, is a big problem in South Korea. Like, well, if you are worried about your population, maybe you should stop getting rid of the people who have the babies. Mm-hmm. Or making them have terrible lives and making babies make their right. lives a lot worse. Um, Germany, I think, had some success in increasing mm-hmm. its fertility rate by making it much more attractive to become a parent by making it suck a lot less. Um, and, and South Korea is not not having as much luck. The fertility rate in South Korea, this is something that I learned from this article, 0. 0.81. 0. 0.81. And previously, women had an average of six children. Yeah. Oh, actually, by the third quarter of 2022, it was 0. 0.79. It is dropping, like, mm-hmm. rapidly. Um, and this is a problem not only for people who, you know, just want children or want grandchildren or, you know, just for people's, like, lives. It's a macro problem. Um, yeah. Because if, you know, children there are not children, there's no replacement to the population, the country will eventually collapse. Um, And so it's sort of a choice in South Korea. You 
uh, continue to make life shitty for women, do exactly what you were doing, but try to like pressure women into having children even harder or make having children a more attractive option for right. both women and and men. Um, I, I We can see that they're going for option A. Don't think it's going to work. Uh, and I think that American government officials would be well served to, to take a look at what's happening in Korea if they want to know what awaits the U.S. if things continue on the path that we're on. Now, obviously, yes. South Korea and the, U- and the U.S. aren't a perfect analog to each other. We have our own unique cultures, situations. But I think it's important for any person who works in government concerned about a falling birth rate to take a look at a place where the birth rate is catastrophically low and what isn't being done to help. Right. So stay tuned. Um, Oh, did you read this article in Rolling Stone? I did. I did. That's something. Okay. So we, there's an article in Rolling Stone this week that really popped to me and it encompasses a, a lot of the complexities of the hashtag me too movement. Although I don't know if that's really a movement anymore. And the way that people who are survivors of sexual assault get justice and the kind of murkiness of sexual assault within the context of consensual relationships. So eight women in the New York City area are kind of on a vigilante campaign against a man who they Mm -hmm. say raped or assaulted all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. What stuck out to you about the article? They've been like plastering his neighborhood with posters of him. It is. Look, if the system worked, this wouldn't have to happen. You know, like all of these women, I'd all started because he assaulted one woman and she tried telling him, like, I didn't like what the fuck went down last night. And she found his phone and found that all of the sort of mental manipulation and weird shit and 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 uh, sort of gaslighting that he was doing to her, there was just text after text of him doing it to other women. So she took his phone, she wrote all the names down, uh, and she contacted them all, and they became a group yeah. um, trying to get justice. And she knew that her case was not going to be the one that the Queen's DA and the uh, Special Victims Department or division were going to take seriously. But they figured almost as a class action kind of vibe that if they went in, how could they be ignored? And um, they're still kind of being ignored. So they started a website and they started uh getting so many tips and emails from women who had been similarly treated by this um, criminal, this perpetrator, this mm-hmm. this bad guy. And it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it to be interesting. She started a group text, which was... Right, right, was the group like, text. You know, this isn't a paid spot for uh, one of our advertisers, but imagine that keepsake. <laughs> book. Hey, ladies. Oh, sorry to meet okay. this way. Legitimately had the same thought when I was reading it. <laughs> I, I was, was like, like huh? They- um, yeah, but they they found each other and they, you know, when they were comparing notes, they have all kind of supported each other and become friends. And, um, you know, it's it's a murky situation because of the way that a lot of these like encounters went down. They happened mm-hmm. like after meeting him on a dating website. And right. then, you know, maybe the encounter started as consensual and then consent was withdrawn. And that is something that is really tough for, and you know that I'm, I'm not like 
making apologies no, for law enforcement in no. this case because they've they've been screwing up except on TV for a very long time when it comes to uh, sexual violence victims. Um, but it's really hard to prove that. Like, it's really hard to right. prove when there are only two people in the room and one person has like an ex- like a heavily vested interest in the allegations not being true. It's really hard to prove what happened. Um, right. But at the same time, this is like a, an alleged pattern of behavior that happened among all of these women. And it's it's continuing to happen. Um, and he, meanwhile, says that, you know, he's innocent and that he is actually a victim, that they're on a campaign to take him down. To that, I, um, you know, to that, I say, you know, he hasn't been he hasn't been like convicted of anything related right. to what these eight women allegedly went through. To that, I say, uh I really think women have a lot better things to do. Right. I mean, it's, it's, Aaron, how many times do we have to say, like, if I were going to find a way to pass my time that would be good for my health, creating uh, rape allegations against someone is not mm-hmm. exactly the way that you, uh, it's not, not a really, not, not a lot of upside for any, any woman coming forward, uh, that she has been raped except for the yeah. justice. No one gets famous. No one gets extra friends. Nobody. No. It's, it's a, a lot. It's this, a real fuck this guy. <laughs> it's a real fuck this guy. The article is really well done. It's really nuanced. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give a shout out to Rolling Stone. Their coverage on a lot of stuff has been it's really great good. lately. Um, okay. One, uh, on a lighter note. Uh, have you ever heard of the laundress? Have you ever used the okay. laundress? Okay, so this article was a public service announcement because guess who had some laundress in her basement? Oh, uh, you know what? I actually thought that you might because you're like a fancy lady when it comes to... No, it's not about being fancy. I hate dry cleaning things. And so I had tried some of their products to get around dry cleaning certain sweaters, Okay, which... Now okay. they're just going to remain dirty forever. <laughs> There's an old Mitch Hedberg joke about that. The shirt's dry clean only, which means it's dirty. Um, dirty. Okay, so the laundress, a high-end detergent and laundry-related company um, mm. that, that originally started, was started by these two women who were like, hated dry cleaning stuff. And they were like, isn't, yeah. isn't there a way around it? They worked in fashion. They knew that a lot of stuff that said dry clean only actually could be cleaned at Mm -hmm. home if you just had the right detergent. So that's where the laundress came from. And it became this sort of like, I don't know. I just picture it like an Upper East Side, like Hilaria Baldwin would have it in a bunch of different scents type of. Did you you just Hilaria Baldwin me? (laughs) I didn't Hilaria Baldwin you, but I feel like, (laughs) I feel like there is a little Venn diagram overlap between like an Upper East Side, like fancy lady in Alyssa Mastromonaco. And that would be like, who's a do-it-yourself lady? Right, right. Like really high-end, fancy cleaning products that are like mm-hmm. far and away supposed to be better than than the rest of the cleaning products on the market. So the laundress, like a thing of their laundry detergent costs like 22 bucks, right? Right. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, like all of it is infected with a very dangerous... Uh, type of bacteria. bacteria. <laughs> so um, the reason that they found this was because some uh, some customers started breaking out into like rashes after sleeping in yeah. their sheets and not knowing why. Um, there was an initial safety notice published, and two weeks later, 
the company issued a voluntary recall, and this was back in December, of almost all of its products made between January 2021 and September 2022, totaling 8 million units. The bacteria mm. on those, <laughs> those, the bacteria that was contaminating those products sounded really bad. Um, I can't pronounce these no. types of bacteria. They're just bad. We'll just keep them as bad. Suffice to say, you don't want to be like sleeping in it. You don't want your face all like rubbing no, up on it. No, no. And pillow. they were saying that for most people, it would just give you a rash. But if you're immunocompromised, it could be very dangerous to you. Uh, one of the strains of bacteria uh, is a leading cause of death for people with cystic fibrosis. It is oh, very so even serious. even worse. Yeah, and it is resistant to most uh, antibodies. And uh, yeah, so basically all of the laundresses products completely throw them out if you have them. Throw, throw them out. out. And you know what? True story. A little Dawn in a, in a squirt bottle mixed with water will literally clean anything you need cleaned. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm also discovering that a lot of like fancy or like clean cleaning products, although I do use them because I like don't want to I don't want to be like yeah, a of course. You know, lab technician or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I maybe would have purchased something for in the past that it's actually like baking soda, vinegar, yep. vinegar, lemon, lemon, Dawn dish mm-hmm. soap. Those are the big four. If you have those the big four, four, you can like, for the most part, clean most things. Literally mildew, baby puke, cat pee, you name it. it those products are your best weapon. And for the, the most sun. Part. And the sun. If the sun and is the out, sun. sun is a great disinfectant. Seriously, it helps get baby poop stains out of things. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. We'll end on baby poop. Um, and uh, speaking of, I, I just think that the, the laundress thing is a really important reminder that just because something is expensive and marketed as clean, and doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's good. There's there's a lot that can go wrong. And uh, woof, sounds very bad. Um, and one more thing on the products that shouldn't have been on the market front. Johnson and Johnson has been trying to weasel out of having to pay for uh, the lawsuits against it because it's baby powder caused cancer uh, yep. by declaring bankruptcy, but. A doesn't court, work. Yeah, a court, a three-judge panel in Philadelphia said no. Uh, 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 you cannot just declare bankruptcy to get out of paying for the harm that you caused these cancer victims. So this means that Johnson and Johnson will have to defend itself again. They keep losing and losing and losing. Um, shares of J and J have dropped seven point two percent in New York on Monday. The the thing that drives me nuts about this story. And the laundress story Mm -hmm. is we are always being sold things that we're told that we need because we're dirty or because we need, you know, we're we're told to use them. And some of the stuff is like actively unsafe. Stop deodorizing me. (laughs) Stop deodorizing me. Glad we're not in the same studio today. It would just smell like patchouli. That's my (laughs) natural deodorant. Yeah, I mean, oh god, the the per, the mid the damage that the like mid-century era did to our health and wellness by like marketing us all of these products. What do you that mean, are, Aaron? Go buy a douche. Go buy uh, a douche. Just scented. Put, put some Lysol up there. <laughs> Lickety split. Okay, uh, and those uh, that's the news we're covering for. Oh, one more one more thing. I just want to give a shout out to students what? at George Washington University. Oh yes. They added a morning after pill vending machine to campus, 
which is very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say it'd be a cool place to hang out and meet groovy chicks. If you're like, I need some groovy female friends. Only the best people, only the best people (laughs) congregate around because you can also apparently get Doritos right next to it. You know what? Here's here's the thing. If you're an ultra groovy chick who goes to George Washington University, ultra groovy anybody, man, chick, whatever. If you're ultra groovy and you attend GWU, I bet that you could offer your services to people who feel a little bit shy about going to the morning after vending machine. I bet you could yes. be like a be their An escort. Yeah, their morning <laughs> after pill escort or their morning after pill DoorDash. You know, that's so. Honestly, that sounds lovely. That would be a good deed if you're looking to do a good deed uh, among an already good deed for the people who put that vending machine on campus. So shout out to George Washington University for being groovy. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm so excited for this interview. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. So stick around and we will be right back. And welcome back. Alyssa, so excited for our guest today. We have a lot of politicians on here. We've got senators. And I love it when we can get somebody on who is absolutely at the top of their game. And you would never see them on cable news saying things that sound like talking points that were sent out in an email that everybody on the DNC listserv got earlier today. Uh, So I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Our guest today is an Oscar nominee in the category Best Makeup and Hairstyling for her work as the hair department head on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She has worked on many other films, including the Hunger Games series, The Hateful Eight, and The Help. Camille Friend, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. This is your first Oscar nomination. I saw the Insta video of you learning you'd been nominated, and it <laughs> it made my heart grow three sizes. How does it feel? Uh, and are you excited for the Oscars themselves? I'm super excited. I'll tell you, I always wanted to go to the Oscars, but I've worked the Oscars before, like backstage, so I know what like the the background running of it is. But I always wanted to, out of everything, I wanted to go to the Oscar luncheon. Like I wanted to have like a cool suit, and I wanted to be there <laughs> at the luncheon. That was always my thing. So you know, so now I'm going to the luncheon <laughs> and the Oscars. <laughs> I love that the luncheon is the headline. Um, was what was the most exciting part of the whole gig for you? Was it getting the the job? on the first Black Panther? Was it your first day on set? Was it when you found out you were nominated? Like, was there a moment that really pops for you? Um, I think the last Black Panther was like one of those things, I call it, it's a movie that's a juggernaut. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's one of those moments of when it hit the world, it hit the world at the right time and it hit people's hearts. And things just went like, it was like in slow motion. They were blowing up in slow motion, but mm-hmm. things were blowing up. Like, I remember um, there was a publicist at Disney who had texted me and she was like, Camille, can you check your Instagram? I wasn't a big Instagrammer before, before like the answer the first one. And I went on there and I was like, oh my God, people are asking me a lot of questions. Can I answer? So <laughs> that was something that I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know how it was going to propel my life, my career, you know, you know, black hair is beautiful, all of those beautiful things into the universe. And then cut to part two. I mean, let's just be honest. Wakanda forever could have been a disaster because it's a movie that number one, you lost your star. 
What do you do with the movie that you've lost your intricate star? Most of the time, it could have been over. Marvel could have said, scrap, they got plenty of things to do. They could have scrapped it. But they continued on to our, our great director, Ryan Kluger. He was like, I'm going to make this movie. This is for Chadwick. This is important. It's important to the culture. So to move forward and to be here, talking to you guys at an Oscar nomination, I would have never thought that last year when we were making Black Panther or the year before. Mm-hmm. So, Camille, here's my question. You are clearly a highly creative person, but there has to be so much strategy and structure that goes into what you do. So what goes into prepping for such an incredibly big gig? What is your process? The process. First, (laughs) I load up my 50 boxes of equipment (laughs) and I get it shipped to wherever I'm going. That's one of the first things we do. People don't realize. I used to have pictures on my Instagram of like, all the equipment that has to go with you to when you're going to a location. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to Atlanta or if you're going to London, like I'm waiting for my stuff to come back from London, actually probably sometime this week. It's the equipment, all the packing, packing, packing again. Then it is also hiring in your crew, hiring the right people for the job. And as I I just say this very simply, you can be the most talented hairstylist, but If you don't know how to play well with others, if you don't know how to get along, you're not good for me. I look for people who are not only talented, but you're kind, you're nice, you're considerate. Because those are all things that are important when you're in what I call the tin can of the trailer, (laughs) like when you're in the trailer. And then I guess the other thing in major and prepping is, you know, really figuring out what this movie was and talking to Ryan Coogler and he explained this movie was about women. It's about connections. And I get that. You know, it's about it's about mother. It's about daughter. It's about loyalty. It's about, you know, death and honoring people in death. And I've been through all those circumstances. So it was something that I could totally tap in within myself also in prepping this movie. Do you have, when you're getting started, do you just have like a big mood board? Like how far in advance do you start preparing for what every hairstyle is going to need? Well, I think it it happens in different ways organically. So, I mean, a lot of times things just, I'm I'm one of those people, things happen to me in my sleep. Sometimes I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, that's it. That's it. Like it just comes to me or it comes to me when I'm meditating in the morning. Like I, I had something come to me this morning and I had to text my cousin to tell her, this is what you have to do. So, you know, it's one of those things. It happens that way organically. And I have what I started working with a couple movies ago, which is really, really helpful for me, is I started using somebody who basically um, is, she's an artist. So either she can do mm-hmm. sketches or she can do Photoshop. So what she basically does is take the ideas that I have. She takes a great picture of the actor and she puts it together. So that's been really something that's really been helpful in my process. So I can do seven, eight, 10 looks and put them all on a board Mm -hmm. and look at them and be like, hmm, this one, this one, no, this one, this one. You know, so I love that, that I have that interaction with her and we get to do that now. So it's something I use a lot. (laughs) You've been working in the hair and entertainment industry for a while. How have they changed over the course of your career? Oh, I think the biggest thing is it's digital. I think visual Mm -hmm. effects and, you know, you know, a lot of hair and makeup are like, oh, visual effects. I don't like it. Ah, I love it okay. because I think what, what a visual effects allows me is this is the thing. 
the craft of hair and makeup is a very old craft. And we've come, we've come further, but we haven't gone as far as the camera. The camera has gone off into the technology, into the, to the space. So <laughs> we're still working with a very old craft, but we're really good at what we do at our craft. But what visual effects does, it helps marry us. So it can take us further. So I love working mm -hmm. with visual effects, working with great artists who we can meet them and then they can take it and then we might meet them a little bit more. So, you know, I did did a lot of that too on another movie I did, um, Little Mermaid. So it's meeting them oh. where they need oh, wow. and then we keep going. So it's it's to me, it's a fun process. The technology is always evolving. I'm always learning something new from great visual effects directors and I love it. Um, that sounds like so much fun. Um, so mm -hmm. this year, yet again, the Oscars are very white and very male. And you've said mm -hmm. that diversity, equity, and inclusion are major priorities for you. How do you advocate for those things? And how do you hold the industry accountable? Well, one of the things I can say is I started my own business. Because if you can't change mm -hmm. them, you have to do it yourself. And, you know, I just decided many years ago I was going to start teaching. So I have a company which is called Hair Scholars. And basically what I do is I'm educating people. I have two sides of it. I have a what I call a business side. Part of the problem is people come into this business and they don't think it's a business. They think you're just going to mm -hmm. run around. It's going to be fun. No, it's a business. You need accountants. You need a CPA. You know, you need all of these things to create yourself as an entity, as an artist. But then on the other side, you need to know the politics of the business, like the, the mm -hmm. what, when, how that how production works. But then on the other side, I'm going to also teach you how to be a great artist, how to put on a, like a wig where it can be bulletproof. You know, all of those mm -hmm. things that that have to happen. And so inside of Hair Scholars, what I've learned is I can personally help and mentor people towards their goals and their dreams. And if you're a person like I come from Tempe, Arizona, I don't know anybody in this business. I didn't even think about this business. But if you're from, you know, what I call a B or C market, you can still get into this business. You might have to work a little harder, but you still can do it. And if I can mentor you, if I can help you and I can, as I say, move the rocks and the stones out of the way to help you in that way, I do. And I am very outspoken about hiring the right people for the job. I don't care, like, whatever is in the trailer, it is our responsibility, especially as hair and makeup artists in 2023, that we should know every skin tone. We should know every hair texture that sits in the chair. There is no way that an actor should be feeling uncomfortable and not feeling capable of doing their jobs because we cannot do our jobs in the chair. Hmm. So you have done screen work. You've done stage work. You've done salon work. You've done it all. What do you want to come next? Like, what are you dreaming of right now? Um, something fun. <laughs> Actually, I want to do something that's a little, like, I want to do something fun. I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, uh, for me, definitely teaching more classes and taking my really taking, I call it my uh, show on the road. That's something that we're working on is like really going to, we were talking to some people yesterday about going to New York, going here and like really, you know, COVID's not over. I don't want to call it over, but I think we're all aware and conscious of the things that we need to require in the COVID climate. And so I want to get back out there. I want to get back out and teach and, you know, and do it in that way even more. And, you know, finding something like a really cool, some kind of cool movie 
or maybe even something, you know, even even like a cold play. You know, listen, I'm open to like all the possibilities, you know, something that's going to be fun where I can play. And that's, you know, for me, playing is just creating and having a good time. Camille, thank you so much for joining us. This was a thank lot of fun. You. I think Alyssa and I both learned a lot. This is great. And a good lot. good luck at the Oscars. I really hope you get to add more uh, hardware to your collection behind you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, you know, it's a fun night. And, you know, we just go and we wish for the best. I mean, as as one of my friends always says, like the people, when you have the five nominees, those are the best of the best. So, mm-hmm. you know, like no matter which way it goes, the, the the integrity, the quality, the level of the hair and makeup in those movies is in excellence. So I'm just happy to be a part of the party. Amazing. Well, that sounds like a great party and have fun. Camille Friend, thank you so much for joining us on Hysteria. And we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. Thanks, ladies. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. 
Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again Ocean City, Maryland somewhere to smile about book your trip at oceocean.com And welcome back. Alyssa, you know, when we started Hysteria, we were side by side. Yes. And we try to make it so our conversations like pass the Bechdel test, you know, mm-hmm. two, two named female characters having a conversation about something besides men. This conversation is not going to pass the Bechdel test. Because not we today. Are, no, not today. But w- we do have to do our annual check-in about what's going on with the men um, because there are people that are worried. And some of them are worried about the wrong things and have some pretty bad ideas for how to fix it. But here to here to talk about those bad ideas with us are our two panelists. You might know our first panelist from her book, You Sound Like a White Girl, but she's about to be so much more than a writer and speaker and activist. It's Julissa Arce, and she's got some news for you. Hi, I actually have some new news today. I am not trying to get you to buy my book, or maybe I still am. What? But besides... <laughs> by my book. 
I am um, just really excited to share that I'm pregnant. And I am. Yay! Yeah, I'm expecting my first baby. And it's a girl. So, you know, more greatness into the world. Um, oh, lucky you. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I'm very excited. I um, have had, you know, ups and downs of pregnancy, but... Um, but every time she moves, I'm like, oh, my God, I really am going to have a baby. <laughs> and it's kind of great. That's awesome. Um, are you taking, like, videos of your stomach? Can you see her moving through your stomach yet? No, I can't see her moving yet. Okay. Yeah. No, like, yeah, I can't see. I feel her moving, mm-hmm. but I can't, like, physically see it. Right. I think it's like, thing? oh, yeah. I think it's because, well, one, that my belly's not, like, as big as I, like, thought it would be at six months. Um. Like, I think if you see me from the front, you might not know that I'm pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, until you see me from the side. And mm. then it's like, oh, there's something there. <laughs> but so I don't know. I can't see her move yet. Oh. That'll be well, that'll be a treat. Yeah. So when I was pregnant, Juniper was super active and I could like see it was like the the scene in Alien, like right before the like thing was like, mm. um, she was moving around so much and I would take videos of it sometimes because you could see it. And now I like went back and watched some of the videos and I'm like, oh yeah, that's my baby. Like she still kind of like has the same kind of like angry tossing and turning thing that she does. <laughs> and it's like, it's really, it's really wild. So that's, Julissa, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you and Fernando. You, you guys are going to be great parents and oh, thank you. excited. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited. Yeah. Oh, that's so lucky. Um, Scared but excited, especially watching those labor videos. Oh, like, don't Why? watch them. <laughs> Don't watch them. It's not. I need to be prepared. I need to know what's going to happen. Oh man! But they're scary, and you don't you don't know what's going to happen. I tried to prepare by knowing everything I could possibly know about like pregnancy and labor, and it still was like it just kind of all of a sudden. It's like being on a roller coaster, and you're like clicking up to the top, and you don't know what kind of roller coaster it is, and there's just like no Mm -hmm. way to know how the rest of the ride is going to go. Is it going to be one of those roller coasters that just drops you straight down? Is it going to be one that's just like like you just don't know um yeah but uh yeah it's it's so exciting though uh rounding out the panel today our next panelist is also a writer and if you haven't pre-ordered immortality a love story yet you truly ought to dana schwartz welcome back to hysteria thank you so much having a book come out is a little bit like having a baby, I think. Yeah, it's pretty much the same, and I should be entitled to as much respect. Uh, <laughs> I fully <laughs> support that. Yeah. No, it's it's the same as having a baby. Uh, no, it's it's fun. It's this is also I, I'm so excited, like because my last book came out sort of in the heart of COVID. This is like my first book tour. Like <gasps> I get to do a book event in person. I'm oh, so. Are you going to get to wear the dress, the green dress? The dr- I was going to say the green dress has to come back. I'm not someone who's good at shopping. Like I've had this same Zara black sweater since college, but I'm trying really hard to like buy pieces that are like good clothes for an adult because I'm like, I'm going to be in front of people. I need like trousers and like a jacket. Like I'm trying to, to like. You don't, you don't need trousers. <laughs> See, you don't, gonna, you don't need trousers. Don't Unless I you're going to trouse. We don't trouse Maybe anymore. some pants. <laughs> Some slacks. You know maybe? what, Dana? Get some slacks <laughs> while some you're at it. Get some yeah, slacks a and a blouse. Get a nice blouse. I would say rent the runway really 
like was really handy during my book tours okay. uh, because like, you know, like I wanted to wear something different for every event yeah. and you're taking pictures and stuff. And so it was kind of nice to have like really nice clothes that then I could like send back and get new, clean, freshly, you know, um, from the dry cleaners type of clothes. It was nice. That's a, mm-hmm. a great yeah. tip. I also feel like this is a good excuse for me to get rid of all the, the stretched out sweaters that I've had for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you can like buy, you've, you've done Rent the Runway before, right? Yeah. You can, you like, can like buy, buy the things you, you, like. you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. gently used clothes, but like, no, who cares? It's great. Yeah. I love the real real. Of course, all the things I like are like $600 and I'm still like, <laughs> nope, sending it back. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I like this, but I don't $600 like it. Um, okay, now that we've we've talked about stuff that would be considered by many to be girly, um, let's talk about men and what's wrong with them. Um <laughs> And what's wrong with the way that we're talking about what's wrong with men. So there's an article that came out in The New Yorker this week, um, and it's a review of a book by Richard V. Reeves, who is a British-American academic who studies inequality and social mobility. He wrote a book called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from um, this review from The New Yorker. Um, it says, uh, men now confront the prospect of cultural redundancy, Reeves writes. He sees telltale signs in the way that boys are floundering at school and men are leaving work and failing to perform their paternal obligations. All this, he says, has landed hardest on black men whose life prospects have been decimated by decades of mass incarceration and on men without college degrees whose wages have fallen in real terms, whose life expectancies have dropped markedly and whose families are fracturing at astonishing rates. Things have become so bad so quickly that emergency social repairs are needed. Uh, quote, it's like the needles on a magnetic compass reversing their polarity, Reeves writes. Suddenly working for gender equality means focusing on boys rather than girls. That's what we will call the nut graph in this review. Jaleesa, I would love to hear your thoughts on this article and the subject matter uh, that the book takes on. What do you what do you think of that passage? I think that it really illustrates the way that Americans think about many of the problems that plague our country, like always trying to find a scapegoat instead of trying to find real solutions for very real problems. Like all of the things that you mentioned are real problems. Mass incarceration is a problem. The fact that, you know, more men are dying by suicide than any other time in history is a problem. The fact that, you know, men or or boys are dropping out of high school and dropping out of college at really high alarming rates is a problem. Like all of those things are real problems, but the source of that problem is not the success that women are having. Mm -hmm. The source of that problem is not um, little girls and the solutions to those problems are not going to be found in women achieving less. Right. Mm-hmm. So like when I hear the people that it's affecting the most is black men, it so reminds me of when conservatives talk about immigration. Right. And they say black Americans are the ones hardest hit by illegal aliens taking their jobs. And it's like, no, actually, undocumented people are not to blame for white people losing their jobs. Right. And so I think that the biggest my biggest takeaway with this with this um, article is is that just that we are trying to find a scapegoat and trying to find solutions where there are none to be found. Mm -hmm. Dana, what do you have to add? 
I completely agree. I think uh, the problem isn't that like there is some big problem happening with men, but I think the problem is the perceived problem. Like I do think it's a true reality that men are framing themselves. A lot of men, particularly young men online, figuring out like ways that they are victims and they feel wronged by like this culture war that's happening. And I think that we can get in this like recursive argument about like, you know, are men as a whole suffering changes, cultural changes that are costing them something, or are they just like looking for reasons to, to justify X or Y behavior? And I, I feel like it's probably the latter. Like, I don't know I don't like anything that divides us up in those like arbitrary things like men are people, women are people. Everyone is individuals doing these things. And these like culture war headlines just give fodder to people on the right who are like, ah, go back to traditional values like Mm -hmm. this headline for whatever nuance the book has. And particularly for men of color, these communities of color that are struggling, the consequence of this is that racist white supremacist people are going to read this headline and feel emboldened by their culture war bullshit. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, Mm -hmm. what were your initial Mm. thoughts? So I really went into this article with a perspective, like of what I thought it was going to be. And actually I found it really fucking interesting. Um, I think that Mm. a couple things. One, I feel like overall when they talk about, what's happening, you know, specifically to, you know, to men, specifically white men in a lot of this. It's like, yeah, guess what, man? Women are thriving because they've had to be resilient because nobody read articles about why we might not be thriving for the last hundred years and taking interest in it. Mm -hmm. Like the one thing I found um, like conflicted about is that I was so interested in what the article had to say. And I was like, No man would have read this article about women 40 years ago and been like, well, this is very interesting. I should learn more. Um, I thought that some of the Mm -hmm. breakdown. Men weren't buying the feminine mystique in droves. No, no. Or Simone de Beauvoir, you know, and I the thing that I thought was that I really thought was like very interesting was when some of the economists, actually one uh, who I knew, Alan Kruger, who is an incredible, thoughtful man who was the head of the economics department at Princeton. He uh, he since passed away. He was talking in he was cited in this article. uh, So many interesting things. Roughly a third of non-working men reported some kind of disability of those men. um, Nearly half were taking pain medication and opioids on a daily basis. But then they go on. And there I was like, this is interesting, because when you actually look at a lot of what they're saying, it is these are also, if you do research into like QAnon or tools that the Ku Klux Klan uses to recruit people, these are the people they target, which is why I think it's interesting for us to understand sort of what's going on here. But they lost me then when they were like, and the quality of video games is shot through the roof. And that's been a real problem. It's like, <laughs> so could you imagine if I was like, do you want to know why women weren't working that much in the 80s? Fucking the quality of days of our lives was through the roof. And they were just like, you know what? <laughs> Not for me. But, you know, when they when they went down that route, I was like, oh, you've lost me. But I did think I did think that uh, much of what was in the article was was worth knowing and was interesting and instructive. I agree. I mean, that was my main problem with the article is there were interesting points that they made. Right. But the headline and the illustration, which Liz Plank right. pointed out on Twitter, which is a woman like leapfrogging over a man, like pushing him down. 
I think belies the, the, how uh, nuanced the point could be. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something Julissa said um, when she first started talking. She said that this is, it seems like it is a problem in search of a scapegoat. I agree that like, it seems like a problem has been effectively identified. You know, there, there is a problem clearly. Um, but then I think about all the ways that, that, solutions that apply evenly to everybody would help alleviate the problem, right? So um, men, it seems as though men expect to age into a world that offers them X, Y, Z things. And the world increasingly does not just hand those things to them. They don't turn 22 and like get a wife. And then their wife doesn't just like take care of them. Like she's mommy, the sequel, you know, that just, that doesn't happen because women are like, no, this sucks for me. I'm not doing this for you. They don't automatically get a job where they can work 40 hours a week, clock in at nine, clock out at five, buy a house on a nice cul-de-sac, raise three kids. They don't get those things that they thought were coming to them, right, that they thought they were entitled to, especially like um, younger men without college degrees. Like you're not you're not going to be able to afford any of that shit. But I also think of different structural things that were just like my first thought reading this was like. Just get universal health care and universal child care. Those two mm-hmm. things. I mean, it's a, a just as doing a lot of heavy lifting in that because, yeah. <laughs> you know, we would have to dismantle the entire insurance industry and reorder the entire health care system. But if we had universal health care, I would imagine that these men who are young and on opioids or on disability would be able to better access care that could help them get into a position where they are A, mentally healthier, B, physically healthier, C, not as uh, economically insecure Mm -hmm. because, you know, economic insecurity, I know, runs a lot of interference for things that are definitely not economic insecurity, but they would have their basic needs met. And I think in a country that just repeatedly refuses to address basic needs, like making life better for women and making, you know, one of the things that's, that's highlighted in this article is Um, These uh, men whose families are broken, their wives are leaving them or people don't want to marry them. It's like all of these things would be slightly more fixed if we just made some systemic adjustments so that things didn't suck so much for everybody. You know, it just seems like and I don't think like Julius also pointed out the blaming little girls thing that really kind of stuck in my craw also. I don't know if the author meant to imply this, but in reading the article, it felt as though there was a bit of an implication that women need to just like not run as fast, like not try as hard, not do as much. Foot on the brake, foot on the brake. Exactly. And I don't know how progress is helped when a large group of people hamper themselves. I, I almost felt like the end of the article was like threatening, like a threat, like yeah. the way that, it, you know, the way it says like gender theorists have described a perennial struggle among multiple masculinities. In this scenario, nobody who values the prospect of eliminating gender hierarchies can afford to be a bystander. Masculinity is fragile. It's also malleable. The shape it will assume in the future have consequences. That last sentence was like, uh, are, you, are you threatening me? <laughs> are you, like, what's going on? And that was my thing is that it's basically if you put the pieces together, which I I thought was 
disingenuous in the article is that when they're talking about this, they're they're saying they're not. Yeah, guess what? All mass shootings, almost all, are are done by men, right? When they talk about screen time, they're not saying that. Also, these people are going down the QAnon rabbit hole, and that you know, like they they left out key pieces of sort of what I thought made it also interesting. And the other thing that they didn't really dive into or or have a point of view on, I guess. I think that's the thing in this article. The things that I thought were very interesting, they just stated as facts. They didn't have a point of view on, but they seem to have a point of view on like how women can participate in this. And so one of the things they talk about is, which I thought was so interesting, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has what's called a time use survey. And they found that in all of these men who were not in the workforce, quote, most of these hours of free time are spent watching screens rather than doing household labor or caring for family members. Instead of socializing more, men without work are even less involved in their communities than those with jobs. Well, okay, so like the women are still they're doing not just getting ahead at work, but clearly they're still fucking doing all the shit at home, too. But like there was no judgment about that. It was just like. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Like, no, that's like fucking crazy. Yeah. Again, back to days of our lives. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, it it is like the expectation is that society should bend toward the way that men are rather than men adjusting to changes in society in a way that is like pro-social and helpful and healthy. And like, I think a lot about the way that people raise boys. And I think there is a really good point to be made about the way that schooling especially in like the early years, is really not designed well to deal with little boys. Like I have fr- friends of mine that have like sons, very like good parents. Um, their little boys are just like having more trouble in school than any of the friends of mine who have little girls. Like, and I feel like there's maybe something that can be done, especially with early childhood education and early childhood development that incorporates the fact that there are kids that develop at different rates and that, you know, and instead of like having a one size fits all type of approach to schooling in the early grades, it might be beneficial for us to examine how schooling can kind of meet little boys where they are. I think that that's like a really good point. But I also think there's a problem with the way that like boys are raised to not be self-sufficient. Dana, you're you're not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like I've read articles this week about like working women are drowning because childcare is like a nightmare and disaster in this country. And so I guess it's a little bit harder for me to empathize with articles where it's like and men feel bad about like the things that they feel like they're owed. But I was reading the article and I was really surprised that it didn't get into this idea of community. Like it really it seemed to dance around this idea that men are really lonely and isolated. And I was thinking about how culturally we kind of encourage female community, like uh, women meeting their friends for brunch. It's like a normal thing where for young men, I kind of think that socializing, maybe if you're not good at sports, like men can go to sports teams if they're young. But if you're not good at sports, there are fewer like socially sanctioned communities for young men. And they kind of turn to these online communities that are like sexist and self-loathing and awful. And I I mean, that to me feels like part of the larger problems of like 
the lack of neighborhoods, the lack of knowing your neighbors, of society, of culture, like mm-hmm. being communal and and everyone's kind of lonely. And I wonder if that's a bigger problem. Well, and to your point, Dana, though, everybody know, like, I feel like everyone knows that, like Joe Rogan knows that, that lunatic Andrew Tate knows that they are preying on these people. Josh Hawley knows that. And so it's really like a problem that's out in the open, but people are gaining power and making money by exploiting it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that men are on video game, playing video games because they're like, great graphics. I wonder if it's because it's like the way they talk to their friends. That was friends. a crazy comment. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's... I I rebuke that. They're talking to people. I also think the article really really misses this um, sort of the difference between equality and like equity, right? Like women, we are so far behind. Like, okay, maybe early childhood education, girls are doing better, thriving. But then when you look at it from sort of like power positions, right? Still... Like the vast majority Mm -hmm. of CEOs are men. The vast majority of people in government are still men. The vast majority of people who have any kind of decision-making power, both from a policy standpoint and even from a cultural standpoint, are still men, right? And so how can you make the argument that, okay, women, like you've had enough We've you've had enough progress. Now we're going to take our foot off the pedal and focus on the men because they're falling a little bit behind. When you look at the bigger picture, and you know, women were still sitting here fighting to get paid the same amount of money for doing the same the same job. Um, you know, Latinas, for example, make fifty four cents on the dollar to what a white man makes for doing the exact same job across different jobs, blue collar jobs, white collar jobs. So. So it's like, how can you make the argument? How could anybody in good faith make the argument that women have had enough progress and it's time to turn it's time to turn their attention to to men because they're falling a little bit behind? Because again, I think it goes back to me, it goes back to this idea of scapegoating, right? Like all of these problems that have been identified, the source of that problem are not women. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you think about, okay, yes, men can no longer, men can no longer go to a nine to five job work 40 hours a week, be able to buy a new home and retire and sort of have this quintessential American dream. That's not because women are going into the workforce. That's because of our capitalistic racist society that is hoarding money at the top. You know, the reason why you you see CEO pay increase over time. And I love this. I love this graph every time I see it. It's like CEO pay and corporate profits, how much those have risen over time and how stages are stagnant. And it's like, you can see, you know, if there were just a little bit less profits, people could actually get better wages and get better jobs. We're seeing it right now, right? Like ExxonMobil just reported like record earnings at a time where like people are getting laid off and gas prices are so crazy. And so you see, like to me, the source of these problems and where we're going to find solutions for all these men that, you know, are struggling. And I don't, you know, I don't, um, I don't want to minimize those problems because they exist and they do have consequences for entire society, not just for those men. Mm -hmm. Um, But until we are, until we can have an honest conversation about the source of the problems and where to find the solutions, this isn't going to get better. It is just going to continue to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana, you looked like you had something on your mind. You were nodding emphatically. No, I just I totally agreed. I thought that was a really excellent point. I mean, I think there are all these systemic problems 
And I wonder if the myth of American meritocracy is kind of coming home to roost and these sort of mediocre men who kind of never would have been big CEO successful in any universe, even if they were alive, you know, (laughs) even if they were Don Draper in the 50s, would always sort of been middle management. Now with inflation and the housing crisis, I mean, no, you 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 can't buy a house. You can't afford a college education. This is like a systemic problem across everyone in America, men, women, families. But I think men possibly, and I'm projecting here, internalize that because they feel deserve like it. they deserve a, a certain image of what an American life looks like, even though everyone is affected by the housing crisis, by how shitty, you know, working conditions are, by healthcare mm-hmm. costs. I think it's it's a combination of feeling like they deserve it, but also that it's expected of them. And like I'm I'm trying to be really empathetic here. Um I feel as though even forward-thinking progressive men, if they're straight, you know, cis, hetero, what whatever men who want to get married and want to have families, I feel like most of them feel pressure to be providers. Even if they know that that's mm-hmm. like an outdated idea, even if they know that that's like, you know, whatever my, you know, my wife is, I like my wife because she's strong and she can stand on her own two feet. I do think that there are a lot of men who feel like they are being judged by other men on whether or not they were providing for their families. And when they can't do that, they can't, they are, they, they can't do that. And I feel like it's a type of humiliation for them. Um, and I, and I think that being constantly in a state of like low grade humiliation, it is easier to just blame the person closest to you. Like, you know, the, the woman who's lives next door, who's getting her master's degree and has this great job and doesn't have any kids and not a care in the world. It's easy to blame the person closest to you rather than as Julissa mentioned, the people are hoarding the wealth, which are other men, which are also the men. White men. Yeah, right. Which are also the men that these guys want to impress the most. Like they want to be one of them. They want to be part of the team. So it's like they can't. They Yeah, go ahead. They want to be those men. Yeah. And like maybe I'm like feeling a lot less empathetic than (laughs) than, (laughs) than the rest of you. But I'm like, by the way, that in itself is a problem of their own making. Mm Mm-hmm. For centuries, you know, for all of humanity, men have made that problem for themselves. They have made this bed that they're lying in now, right? Like they're the ones who um, created sort of this idea that men should provide, that women should stay at the home. Um, You know, like I just think about like in Latino culture and Mexican culture specifically, but I think more broadly in Latino culture, just how much men are valued, you know, how much more mothers value their sons, how they cater to them, how it's like, you know, if one little thing happens to their son, it's like, oh my God, the world is ending versus like they do expect women to be stronger and more emotionally stable. Um, you know, like when, when, when like families get together, it's like, make sure that the, that the dad has a plate of food and make sure that the son has a plate of food. And let's make sure like everything is just about catering to, to men. Mm -hmm. Um, and so much of that comes from, because, you know, from sort of centuries of, well, men are the providers. So it's our job to like cater to them, to make sure they're not stressed when they come to the home, make sure that we're, you know, making this beautiful home for them and this beautiful meal for them. And, and so all of these issues that we're talking about now, like 
yes, maybe I feel a little bad, you know, that like these men are struggling. But the other part of me is like, well, go talk to your father about mm-hmm. <laughs> about this, you know, go talk to your grandpa. Like, yeah. don't blame us. Like, it's yeah. it's not our fault. And like, to the extent that we can be helpful, we probably will be. I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I think there's something, there's real value in raising human beings who are going to be self-sufficient when they reach Mm -hmm. adulthood, whether it's a boy or a girl. And I think girls are raised to be self-sufficient human beings, like for, you know, for better or for worse. And there is joy, there is pleasure and satisfaction that comes in being able to take care of yourself. Some of my happiest years were when I, I'm happy now. Great. No, no notes. Good, good life. But when I look back on my life, I'm very happy with the times that I was like able to cook a nice meal for myself, able to keep mm-hmm. my home the way that I wanted my home to be kept, not for anybody else, but for me. And I don't think that men are necessarily raised with the idea that they'll ever be responsible for keeping a home. Mm-hmm. And they probably will be. People aren't getting married now until they're almost 30. I think the average age of first marriage um, for women is like 28 now. And, you know, in, in coastal areas and places with like higher education levels, it's it's higher. Um, so, you know, your sons and your daughters are going to be living in situations where they have to take care of themselves for several years, probably, before they live with somebody else. And I just don't think that there are enough people who are raising boys to understand that. It's kind of the point. There was something in this article that I thought, and if I missed it, you guys correct me. I felt like there was no, it was just all men. Whereas I think that if there had been some like socioeconomic nuance to this, it might have been more interesting. Because like, if you look at, like when they're talking about the men who are who are are not working because they're on disability, because they're taking drugs. It's like, well... I have very little sympathy for, uh, you know, people who were raised with privilege who are like, this isn't the world I expected and I'm just checking out. I have very little sympathy for that. But I do think that like Aaron, over the past couple of months, we've talked about so many unions that have gone on strike. And, you know, like to Dana's point about how, you know, people are raised to think I should be able to, you know, in the 70s and 80s, someone who was a rail worker could provide for a family and have a home and have a nice life. And now when we see what people are striking for who are not as socioeconomically advantaged, you're like, how the fuck can that even be? Like, what do you mean they don't have a sick mm-hmm. day? That's fucking bullshit. And so I think that part of what was what bothered me about this article is that it kind of lumped everybody into one. And I think there are two very different experiences that people are having and that if you are you can understand how someone who could be very disaffected if it's like, I work my ass off. I'm working 40 hours a week. I can't call in sick one day. They want me to do this like physical labor. And the same like with the nurses strike in New York. I mean, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Like you have, we have said these people are frontline workers. They worked all through COVID and now we're like, you know what? Mm, Thanks for your service. Uh, So I thought that was one thing that really was that sort of discredited the efficacy, the the message, I guess, of the article is that they kind of treated it all as one. And I think that they're probably two very different stories being told and that I'm not going to have. And in in some Mm -hmm. ways, it's like lumping in 
you know, the guy who went to college and had a good education and came out and was like, what do you mean I'm going to make the same as a woman? I don't want to be part of society. Uh, That's a very different Mm -hmm. thing. And I feel like they're lumping it in in some ways with people who are working very hard and struggling. And and it has nothing to do with the fact that a woman became a CEO of some fucking company. I just feel like they conflated a lot of, (laughs) I feel like they conflated a lot of issues in this article and, and oversimplified it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. Next thing you know, they're going to say that women uh, are the ones responsible for the better graphics. You know what, Jaleesa? It is a massive conspiracy. (laughs) We gave them an opportunity (laughs) and they hypnotized men into watching games all the time so they could (laughs) leapfrog over them. It's like my boobies weren't doing the work to hypnotize you. Let me tell you these graphics. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Ladies, that's all the time we have for this conversation. This was fascinating. I could probably keep talking about this with the three of you for hours and hours, but we have to take a break. And when we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. And welcome back. We are almost done with the show, but we wouldn't let you go without letting you know what's keeping us sane or what we're feeling petty about this week. It is a segment we call Sanny Petty. Julissa, why don't you kick us off? Are you feeling petty or do you have something to keep you sane this week? I have something to keep me sane. Two two things. They're sort of a combo okay. um, for me lately. And the two things are coffee and makeup. So... You know, because I haven't been sleeping very well and I have felt kind of sluggish in the mornings. Um, and then it, because I feel sluggish, it makes it easy to then just like be on my in my pajamas or like loungewear, you know, the whole day. Then I just don't feel as productive. You know, I just feel like if I'm sitting on my couch reading something, even if it's reading I'm doing for work, it just doesn't feel the same. So this week I've been trying this new strategy where like I wake up and I do my makeup. 
like I wake up as though like I have somewhere to go, you know, and I do, I do my makeup, I put on at least a cute sweater or something and then have my cup of coffee, even if it's going to give me a little heartburn, um, because let's just be honest, like probably water <laughs> will give me heartburn at this point. So I'm like, might as well be coffee. Um, and so those two things, just like putting makeup on in the morning, like a nice shade of lipstick and then like that smell when you're making your coffee, you know, when it's just coming out and it's like, it smells so delicious. And that first sip that you take is just like heaven in your mouth. And it's just the most amazing thing. So like coffee and makeup, thank you because you have made me happier this week and more productive. Like I actually have gotten more work done the days that I've worn makeup and had my coffee in the morning. So Thank you to people who invented this beautiful things called me. <laughs> I love that. Um, also, uh, if you know the the old old wives tale, quote unquote, that about heartburn and pregnancy. No, what is it? It means that your baby's going to be born with a lot of hair. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, and it's true. Well, I mean. It's true. I have I, a lot of hair, so <laughs> possibly yes. She's gonna come out with like a pompadour, like she's gonna have like a. <laughs> um, yeah, I had I had like pretty bad heartburn at the very end, and she came out with like a, a fair amount of hair. Um, so yeah, but it, it once you once you have her, it'll be gone. You'll be able to just enjoy your coffee without without the heartburn. So that'll be good. yeah. Sometimes I take like a preventative Pepsi. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have coffee today. I'm gonna. I'm going to pop a little pill in the morning before I have my coffee. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I will go next. I have something that is a sanity corner um, because it is, I love, I feel like right now I should post like the picture of Marie Kondo going, I love mess. <laughs> I love messes that I don't, when I don't have like any skin in the game or I like don't really know enough about both sides to really fall on one side or the other. But the Andrea Riseborough Oscar nomination controversy <laughs> is I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. So for those of you who are not uh, following along or whatever, the Oscar nominations came out a couple weeks ago. And on the list was Andrea Riseborough, who is a very talented and accomplished actress. But she was nominated for a movie called Two Leslie, which like nobody saw. You know who wasn't nominated was I think it grossed like twenty three thousand dollars domestically. Like no, literally nobody saw Two Leslie. Um, who wasn't nominated was Viola Davis for her role in The Woman King, and she had been nominated for all of the major awards before. So the narrative is that Andrea Riseborough's surprise Oscar nomination knocked Viola Davis out of the nominees list. So there's a couple things going on here. Two Leslie was this little indie film. And at the very like last minute, a couple weeks before nominations were like votes were going to be tallied. Um, the director's wife like emailed all of her famous friends and was like, please vote for Andrea Riceboro for this, for, for this movie. Please vote for her. If you vote for her, like, you know, and, and so people started like all of a sudden tweeting about it. Like Gwyneth Paltrow, is there anything that she won't tweet about if you email her nicely? She she tweeted, she like emailed, she was yeah. like, yay, Rick Caruso. She was like one of those people. And it's like, Gwyneth, stop, stop tweeting things out because your friends asked you a favor. Just stop doing it, it. It doesn't look Just good for you. keep it goopy. Yeah, keep it goopy. Keep it but goopy. It, so, so here's here's how this whole thing looked. And, and, and a lot of the people tweeting this stuff out, Edward Norton, um, a lot of the people were kind of like white Brentwood types. 
and hundred uh, percent Brentwood types. Yeah, the the like Brentwood moms coffee clutch sort of and and for Brentwood is like a, a super wealthy area that a lot of like Hollywood people live in um so you know we have like this kind of ground like a grassroots level campaign to like get Andrew Resborough her Oscar nomination and it's all like very very like white rich lady type optics, right? And it knocked off Viola Davis, who had a major studio behind the film that she was in. Um, but still, like, the film is, like, has, like, basically a largely black cast. Like, almost all of the main characters are black. It is, uh, I think it was filmed and it was shot in Africa. It is, like, really, like, for a an award show that has battled with the idea that it is extremely white. This is like the worst possible like PR disaster that it possibly could have had. So anyway, the Academy reviewed Andrea Weisborough's Oscar nomination and they were thinking about make disqualifying her because of the way that the grassroots campaign went. There are really strict rules about how people are allowed to campaign for Oscars, um, but they ultimately decided not to disqualify her. Um, I don't really, I didn't see The Woman King. I didn't see Two Leslie. Um, not for any reason. I like have been excited to see The Woman King, just haven't gotten around to it. Um, I haven't seen most of the Oscar movies. I cannot get enough of this story. Every single time there's a headline about it, I'm like, click, click, click. <laughs> I need to read about this story. It is like so fascinating. And it's such a like cauldron of like, entertainment industry bullshit that very rarely like bubbles up enough that people get a sense of it like Oscar campaigning like the way that people are like can you please do me a favor and vote for my friend it, it's like I can't get enough of it so that's what keep that's what's keeping me sane this week um I don't know if I'm even going to watch the Oscars to be perfectly frank I will tune in for the hair and makeup award only because of our friend Camille friend um but the, other than that I don't really care so, uh, yeah, I can't get enough of it, and I can't explain why. And that's what's keeping me sane this week. Can I tell you that two good friends of mine are the executive producers of Two Leslie? Oh, <laughs> really? Congratulations to them. I think, like— And I have to say, I was really excited about the nomination because I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited for my friends who, like— worked on this indie film, you know, who like made it happen. Um, and I have seen it and it is really good and she is really good in it. Um, yeah, I just thought I would. <laughs> Were you <laughs> on the Brentwood mommy's email list? Did you get the email from the director's wife? I did not oh, okay. get an email asking me to tweet about it. Um, my friends, the the executive producers on it did not ask me to do anything for it. Um, yeah, so, but I thought you would like that. I mean, that's super fascinating, but that's another thing, too. It was this little indie movie. And so, like, the people yeah. that were polling for Andrea Riseborough to win, I think in some of their minds, they didn't think it all the way through. They didn't think of, like, oh, wait, how is this going to look holistically speaking? Um, when they were, they were like, we're just going to make this little indie movie win. Like, yay. Like, yeah, a little yeah, yeah. Or, like, support it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on, and I, I, can't, I can't get enough of the controversy. I, I have to say, I feel like <laughs> she has an Oscar. She has four nominations. If you watch her Architectural Digest tour, it is the fanciest house I've ever seen. <laughs> the Arc Digest is real. <laughs> it's insane. She has a table in her house that used to be in like Yves Saint Laurent's original Whoa. atelier. What? She has an insane house. 
<laughs> oh God. Damn, I'm gonna have to go look this up. This this might yeah, be my sanity corner for today. <laughs> uh Dana, are you sanity corner or I feel petty? Yeah, let sanity corner. That'll seg exactly into it. I am obsessed with watching architectural digest tours of celebrities' houses. <laughs> I I love it. We I watch them with my husband. We put them up on the TV and we just like we judge rich people's houses. But Dana, haven't you read that when someone, af- like right after they have their ARC Digest profile, that they usually get divorced? They do it to yeah. sell. Yeah. Well, they they get divorced and they're always trying to sell the houses because they're like showing them off. And I love pretending oh. that I'm going to be able to buy these $15 million homes. It's like, it's fun for me. Is this like, I've never seen one. Is this like MTV Cribs 2.0? It's Cribs if they also have to pretend to know the the painters that they have around their houses. Ah. It's pretty funny. I like to to guess like who actually lives in this house and who just staged it to sell it. That's funny. Um, I judge them on their taste. Uh, Michael Imperioli has an insane apartment. Really? You should all watch that one. Oh, Christopher. I've seen, I've seen parts of it. It has like golden yeah. floor-to-ceiling curtains instead of a closet door. His wife is a set designer, and she went hog wild on this, on this apartment. <laughs> uh, Kristen Dunst has a really great house. Her house is beautiful. I want that's really Kiki's good. Kiki's doing well. Yeah. Uh, Dakota Johnson is one of my favorites. Dakota Johnson's. Is like the one that I've watched and I'm sort of like, do I need to watch anymore? This house is like perfect. And I love her whole vibe. Like Viola Davis yeah. is one. You gotta Viola watch Davis that one. It's just one like too. the most extravagant house. Gwyneth Paltrow has a uh, a spa in her house. I'm sure. A spa. I bet she wrote she it off. Oh, I bet she wrote it off for business expense. With organic everything. Yeah. She She could. That's my favorite. That's my favorite thing to do. Write off things as business expenses. <laughs> Sanity corner, in addition to coffee and makeup. I love watching these. They bring my blood pressure down. Um, I both get to like live vicariously and also pass judgment. It's my favorite thing in the world. Amazing, um, Alyssa. Do you want to bring us home? Sanity corner, or I feel petty. I'm petty, guys. I'm feeling petty. I don't know. I mean, but I don't think I'm wrong. You know. Um, watching meteorologists talk about the weather when the weather's fucked up and they're like not pretending it's fucked up. Like I can't, I can't listen to my upstate New York people being like another gorgeous day. It's not fucking gorgeous. It is 50 degrees in January. The ticks are going to take over the countryside if it doesn't get cold and they don't freeze to death. We're going to have utter defoliation if the gypsy moth eggs aren't killed also, also by being being frozen to death. I just, uh, I can't take it. This is the first time in the history of uh, recorded weather that uh, my area has not gotten below 30 degrees in January. Uh, New York City has had no measurable snow since last March. And I just like, I appreciate if you don't like the cold, but I just like, I need you to shut the fuck up because it's not normal and everything's about climate change. And you're giving people this idea that it's like good that the climate is changing and it's not. So you need to stop. If the weather's going to be really warm in the middle of the winter and it has been warm the entire time. I need you to caveat with how abnormal it is and how it is not good for us. And that is how I feel. It's how I feel. It's how I feel. Uh, yeah. I'm I mean, upset about it. Because I love the weather. You know me. Yeah. I love the yeah. weather. And now I can't watch it because they're all, <laughs> they've gotten dumb. They've gotten dumb. 
I, I feel like upstate New York weather is sort of like the big show of being a meteorologist. Like Chicago. Like you places call it that weather. Get, yeah, right. We got weather coming. Yeah. In, the, in L.A., it's like the minor leagues. Like if people are like, nah, sunny and well, 72, I think. Lows in the 50s. Nah. Exactly. No, it's exactly. And I just like it. it would be one thing if it had been normal and we had a warm streak. I enjoy it. Be funny. Put your shorts on to deliver the weather. I don't give a shit. But this is this is reaching a critical point of fucked upness in the weather pattern, and I can't have it being celebrated. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think they should remove heating and cooling from the places where they shoot the weather report. Just yeah. so, just so the meteorologists have to be more honest about the way the temperature feels. I have to shout out my favorite weather lady, though, Alyssa, spelled correctly, Carafreeze, up in Albany. She gets it. She, I have to, I can only watch her weather exclusively now because she treats it properly. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, see, on that petty. note. On that note, Julissa and Dana, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great discussion, a really fun show. Thank you to Camille Friend for joining us for the interview. Learned a lot. She's awesome. Hope she wins. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die per usual. And listeners, if you like what you hear, make sure to rate us, leave us a nice review, tell your friends. Uh, you can tweet at us if you want. I'm barely on Twitter anymore, but I will me see too. it if you if you at me. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from an planet. This nation Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts.